if you've ever been in a situation, in a social environment, in a professional environment, maybe even with your family, where you have spoken up on behalf of Jesus or spoken up on behalf of the gospel. Some of you are already laughing. Uh, Maybe it's one of the values of scripture. Maybe you've spoken up for the rights of the unborn. Maybe you've spoken up on behalf of uh, the biblical definition of marriage, one man, one woman for life. Uh, Maybe you've spoken up on behalf of generosity and caring for the poor and the immigrant and, you know, whomever. Or maybe you've gone so far as to say something like, well, I know the world says that there are many ways to God, but Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through him. Maybe you've been so bold and courageous as to say something like that. And when you have, my assumption is that you have received the exact same response that I get, which is simply this, oh, please tell us, how do we inherit eternal life? Is that the response that you've received? Yeah, yeah, me either. You know, sometimes you get somebody that's curious or sometimes you... Somebody responds and says, well, why do you hold that belief? Why do you hold that value? And you have the opportunity to share a little bit about Jesus and what he's done in your life and how you met God and your journey with him and that kind of stuff. Uh, But a lot of times what we get is like the record scratch stop. You know what I mean? And like everybody goes really quiet and then stares at you as if you're like an alien, right? Or if all of a sudden you're wearing like a mascot head on your, you know, just like, what are you even doing here? What are you even talking about? That is ridiculous. And maybe even people say that out loud. I mean, even when they don't, you know they're thinking that, right? You know they're thinking, you're a weirdo. Like, you were cool up to this point, but now that you said that, you're strange. And maybe they would even go so far as to say, well, that's offensive because it's not inclusive, because it's intolerant. Maybe you even had a difficulty getting a promotion or, or making your way into certain social circles or developing friendships or whatever because of your faith and because of your walk with Jesus. If that's true, and I think for so many of us, in fact, the vast majority of us, at least we've had that circumstance happen once, maybe, maybe more, but at least once for, for those of you who have had that happen and will have that happen in the future. If you speak up on behalf of Jesus, I have really great news and really awful news in the same set of verses for you this morning. Ready? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, Jesus says. If you were of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises, even the promises that are difficult. We invite you, Spirit of God, to speak to us this morning, to raise our awareness, to raise our mindfulness, to comfort us, to remind us, to convict us, to exhort and encourage us, whatever it is that you have for us today. We open our minds now, we open our hearts now, and ask that you speak to us through your word. In the name of Christ, with enthusiasm, the people of God said... Look, if you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 15. John is the fourth biography of the life of Jesus uh, in the New Testament. It's one of four in the scriptures. Uh, John was a friend of Jesus, walked with Jesus, and then wrote a biography of his life such that people would read it and place their active trust in Jesus and receive life in his name. And we've been studying the book of John for several millennia now. We actually started when, before John even wrote the gospel. We started studying the gospel, it seems like. For those of you who have been here at Bayview Glen for a little while, you're like, when are we going to get to something else? Hey, listen, we can't talk about Jesus enough, right? Okay, so we're just going to keep studying until we're done. So here's the deal. We come to a place in the book of John, and Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to, uh, he's about to be crucified on a hill just outside of Jerusalem, and he knows that's coming. And so he leaves with his disciples some of his last words. They celebrate Passover communion, which we just celebrated in an upper room in Jerusalem. They leave that upper room. They're journeying north to the Garden of Gethsemane. Talks about the vine and the branches. And then he gets to this point where he encourages them (laughs) with this really special promise, doesn't he? And look what Jesus says. He he wants wants his disciples to know a couple things. One, he talks about the world, and he repeats that word over and over and over. This is John 15, verse 18. And he repeats a pronoun here, referring back to the world over and over, like what, seven times? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. Nine times. Like Ferris Bueller has been absent nine times, if you've seen, the Ferris, if you've seen Ferris Bueller. If not, you think that's stupid. But uh, he repeats the, world, the word world nine times. And he's not necessarily talking about the individuals and people of the world. Understand what he's talking about is what the world values kind of the currency that the world trades in, the structures and power structures and the empire, the kingdom of the world is going to what? Hate. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say dislike. He doesn't say, you might be a little off-putting here and there. He says, the world is going to hate who? You. And he repeats that word a bunch of times. Like, this is top three worst promises of Scripture ever, right? Like, the world, where you live, is going to hate you. And in order to, like, get it into his disciples' heads so they don't forget about it or have the chance to ignore it, he repeats it over and over. The world, the world, the world is going to hate, 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 hate you, you, you. In other words, hater's going to hate. That's what, it, that's what Jesus says. Hater's going to hate. Now, I'll add a little levity to this this morning and, and just make us laugh a little bit, and that's okay. But Jesus makes this promise, the world is going to hate you. Some of you have experienced that. And guess what? 
when you experience that, you are experiencing the promises of God. Well, why? Why is it that the world is going to hate me? The disciples may have asked that same question. Well, Jesus, this is why, like, why is it going to hate me? Like, I'm pretty nice. You know, Thomas, he's a bit of a doubter. I could see why they don't like him. But why me, Jesus? Jesus gives us two reasons. One, he says, it has hated me before it hated you. So if you're my follower, Jesus will eventually say, the servant is not greater than the master. If you're my follower, they hated me. So much so that they crucified him, right? That's how much they hated Jesus. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. So as his disciples, not just those that are listening to him when he originally says this, but those who are reading it here this morning at 1145 at Baby Glen Church, right? All of us, we follow in Jesus' footsteps, all of his footsteps. We follow in his footsteps of gentleness. We follow in his footsteps of mercy. We follow in his footsteps of bringing healing and wholeness when and where we can. We follow in his footsteps of being hated by the world. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. You cannot pick and choose. I like this about Jesus and that about Jesus, but this world hate me thing, I'm not sure I like that part. We follow in all of his footsteps. So the first reason Jesus says the world is going to hate you is because they hated me first. To which we should respond, at least I respond, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. They hated Jesus. If I'm a Jesus follower, they're going to hate me too. Got it. Reason number two says, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Jesus says, you don't belong here. You're an alien here. You're a stranger here. I have chosen you out of the world for myself in order to bear fruit, the fruit which we talked about last week of justice, mercy, and walking humbly with God. I have chosen you out of the world, and you are not a citizen of the world anymore. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You don't adopt the values of the world anymore. You live the values of the kingdom of God. You don't have a world passport anymore. You have a kingdom of God passport now. Your citizenship has shifted. In other words, you used to belong here. Now you don't. This used to be your home. Now it isn't. You used to be a citizen here. Now you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Some of you are like me and Canada is not your country of birth. You were born in a different country. And when I moved here, I did not have to release or relinquish my citizenship of my home country. Some of you did. Some of you did. When you transferred your citizenship, you were not allowed to keep dual citizenship. You had to forfeit your citizenship from your home country in order to become a citizen of Canada. Now that you have a Canadian passport, if and when you go back to your home country, you don't get treated like a citizen anymore, do you? You don't get to vote there anymore. You, you, don't, you don't have to pay taxes there anymore. You, you don't get to participate in like, government stuff and you know you, you you don't have all the rights of a citizen there your citizenship now is in Canada and all the rights and privileges thereof you get to vote here you, you get health care here you get to pay extraordinarily high taxes here isn't that great so your citizenship is here 
and you're not treated like a citizen in your home country anymore because you've released that citizenship. Jesus is saying the very same thing. I have chosen you out of the world and you used to belong here and now you don't. You're no longer a citizen here. So the world is going to hate you. Are we encouraged yet? Oh, yeah. Let's just pray in worship. No, uh, let's, let's let Jesus finish, okay? Because he's going to give us some encouragement here. He says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. I, I, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but isn't that good? Like, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's humbling, but it's a reminder of our position in the kingdom of God. Look, I'm the Lord of heaven and earth here, Jesus says. Not me, Jesus says this. Lord of heaven and earth. And they hated me. And you're the servant. What, what do you expect them to do? Okay, I'm not greater than you. Okay, I get it. I follow in all of your footsteps. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So now that hatred, which is a feeling and an emotion, has moved to something different, has moved to persecution. It says, if they kept my word... They will also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. See, I'm really glad that Jesus makes this little comment right here. I think it's fantastic. He says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In other words, he says, there will be some in the world who respond to my teaching and who respond to my invitation to be part of the kingdom of God and adopt those values. Some will say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow in your footsteps too. And some of the world will be called out of the world just like you are, disciples. And if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. They're not gonna hate you. They're not gonna persecute you. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to know that God God will continue to call some out for himself, choose them to bear fruit in the world. But for those who are not called out and for the values of the world, the kingdom of the world and the currency that the world deals in, not only will they hate you because you follow Jesus, now they will take action and persecute you because you follow Jesus. Here it is, more encouragement this morning, ready? Persecution is promised. Persecution is promised. I love uh, the opportunity when, when I do this. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I love tricking people with this, right? Like, and here's what I do. I ask, what are your favorite promises of the scripture? Favorite promises of the Bible. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Love it. Yeah, if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Love it. God has good plans for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans for a hope and a future. Love it. The world is going to hate and persecute me. My favorite promise of the scripture. Like nobody puts that on a bumper sticker, right? When's the last time you saw that on somebody's refrigerator? You know, it's usually like you look back and there were only one set of footprints. And it was I who carried you, you know? Like nobody has that poem on their walls. Like you look back. And there's a trail of blood from all the martyrs of the faith, right? Like, that's not encouraging. But Jesus is not meaning to be encouraging necessarily. He'll get there. He'll get there. He's just meant to tell us the facts here. That persecution 
is promised. It's coming. Because they hate you, they're going to persecute you. And for those who are listening, not, not you, not you necessarily in this room, okay? But for those 11 disciples, because now Judas has left the building, they're going to replace him later with a man named Matthias. There's going to be 12 of them. Of those 12 disciples, they met their fate in a number of different ways. And none of them have an obituary that reads this way. They passed away peacefully in their home, surrounded by family and friends. Beheaded, crucified, drawn and quartered, crucified upside down. As the uh, kingdom of God began to grow and Christianity began to grow in the Roman Empire, there was an emperor named Nero who used to take Christians and cover them in tar, tie them to poles and light them on fire to give light to his garden parties. In the Colosseum, they used to take Christians and throw them to wild beasts and watch the wild beasts tear them apart because they were followers of Jesus. I read the story uh, this week of, of a young woman. She was 22 years old. She had an infant child and a friend of hers named Felicity who was pregnant. They were both in the new believers class in the third century church, early third century the Roman government found out, the empire found out, and they took this young 22-year-old woman, her infant child, and her pregnant friend, threw them to the lions. And when the lions didn't take care of them, they ran them through with the sword. Jesus is promising here that persecution is coming. And for them, it did. Now, I want to be real honest with you here in a couple of ways, and one of them is to tell you that relatively speaking, it is not difficult to be a Christian in Toronto. Relatively speaking. Some of you think that it's very, 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 very difficult. So compare ourselves to the Middle East. Let's compare ourselves to some Asian countries. Let's not just compare ourselves to believers in this time and place. Let's compare ourselves to all Christians in all times and places over the last 2,000 years. And on a scale of 1 to 10, we're kind of on the easy side. You know, let, let, let's just, here's one piece of evidence that I can give you to tell you that being a Christian in Toronto, in Canada, in 2019, is it 19? Are we still writing 18? Anybody still writing 2018 on accident? Okay, I am. Whatever. Uh, 2019, here's one, one reason, one bit of evidence that I can give you to tell you it's relatively easy. You're here in a corporate worship service to celebrate and worship Jesus, and nobody is going to arrest or shoot you when you walk out of these doors. At least I'm pretty sure. It's relatively easy, but listen very, very closely, friends. The promises of God are true. And it's not going to get any easier. Persecution is promised. It's coming. Yes, there are some challenges about being a Christian. Yes, there are some speed bumps in our postmodern, post-Christian, tolerant culture. I get that. I understand that there are times when you might not be able to get into social circles or get that promotion you want or feel awkward in conversations. I get that, but it's going to get worse and not better. Persecution is promised. 
And I began to think to myself this week, and this is my critical question. What is it that separates a Christ follower from the kingdom of the world? How is it that the kingdom of the world operates? And how is it that a Christ follower operates, or at least is called to operate, such that the world responds with hatred? So I want to walk us through just kind of three ideas, and we've mentioned this already a couple of times, that the world deals with a certain currency. And the world deals in the currency of power, prestige, and position. And if we as Christ followers refuse to deal in this currency, which we should, we'll unpack it just a little bit, we are going to be rejected, hated, and persecuted by the world. And because Christ followers don't deal in the world's currency, we deal in the currency of the kingdom of God, justice, mercy, humility, service, taking up our cross. That's the currency of the kingdom of God. We don't deal in the currency of the world. The world is going to respond with hatred and persecution. It just is what it is. Could you imagine if I traveled to a foreign country and I was at a meal and somebody brought me a meal and they, they brought me a tab at the end of the meal and I tried to pay with uh, Canadian dollars? I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend that con- convinced a young person one time, a twenty-year-old, that that Canadian currency is actually called Canado. Canado. It's not true. Uh, it's not called Canado. But could you imagine if I tried to pay with Canadian dollars or U.S. dollars in like France or Egypt? Like they would laugh at me, right? That's just that's just paper to us. Like, that's nothing. We don't deal in that currency. And Christ followers don't deal in the world's currency. And listen, the world deals in the currency of power. The world most certainly deals in the currency of power. And as a Christ follower, you cannot pursue power and walk in the Jesus way. You can't have them both. You cannot deal in the currency of power and walk in the Jesus way. And when you reject the currency of power and walk in the currency of humility, which is the Jesus way, you're going to be hated and persecuted by the world. Now, let's draw a distinction here because I know some of you might be thinking this. I do have some power. I have some power in the marketplace. I have some power in education. I have some power in medicine. I have some power in my business. I have some power. Yes, Yes, you might have some power, but, but let's, let's, let's draw a distinction here between power and influence. Because power, in my opinion, is taken, influence is given. Do you see the difference? Power is grabbed for. Power is asserted. Power is, is hoarded. P- power is taken from people. Rather, influence is given Influence is earned. And many of us as Christ followers don't deal in the currency of power, but you have earned incredible amounts of influence. And that's a good thing. That's a God thing. God has ordained that for you to wield your influence for the sake of the gospel. But power is not the currency of the kingdom of God. Power is the currency of the kingdom of the world. And you cannot pursue power and walk in the Jesus way. And so the world is going to hate you, persecute you, 
Uh, just a few moments from this conversation, Jesus would be in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And the disciple that left the Passover meal, Judas, would approach Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kiss him on the cheek, and betray him into the hands of sinners to be mocked, beaten, and crucified. In that moment, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter, wields power. He seizes power. He takes power. Watch. It says, behold, one of those who are with Jesus, that's Peter, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Okay, lesson number one. Peter's bad with a sword. Okay, that's, that's free Free for nothing this morning. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But how in the world do you draw your sword, aim for someone's head, and cut off only their ear? Peter was a fisherman, not a swordsman. Okay? Then Jesus said to him, what? Put your sword back into its place. You do not wield power. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus would go on to say, don't you know I could call down 70,000 angels for myself right now? Don't you know I could wield power? I have all the power. But I don't do that. Why? Because I don't deal in the currency of the world. Therefore, the world hated and persecuted him. You cannot pursue power and walk in the Jesus way. So let's talk about what this means in your sphere of influence. We wield power in the context of personal relationships all the time. We do. We tell stories to cast light on ourselves that make us look good and make other people look bad. We throw other people under the bus sometimes. We joke about others and are sarcastic about others. That's a way to wield power over them. We kind of pull rank and pull authority on folks. We listen, not with the intent to understand, but with the intent to produce a really effective rebuttal. That's wielding power in personal relationships. We wield power in corporations. We wield power in organizations. We take power for ourselves When all the while, Jesus is calling us to earn influence by bearing the fruit of justice, mercy, and humility in our world. And you might think to yourself, but Luke, if I don't assert that power, wield that power, I'll probably be unsuccessful or maybe not as successful in the world. To which I would respond, yeah. But you don't deal in the world's currency anymore. Because you're a child of God, a child of the king. Let's talk about prestige. Let's talk about prestige. Let's define uh, this word prestige. I think it's critical. Prestige is standing or estimation in the eyes of people. Weight or credit in general opinion. Or it's commanding position in people's minds. The world deals in the currency of prestige. People who have weight or position in the mind of others. People whom others esteem. People whom others elevate, lift up, look to as someone important or meaningful. And yet, Isaiah tells us that 
He, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Keep going. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Does that sound like a man of prestige? Who holds weight in the minds of people? Jesus' primary and exclusive goal was to please his heavenly father, not to hold weight in the minds of people. And if you are a follower of Christ, we follow in all his footsteps, you cannot simultaneously pursue prestige and walk in the Jesus way. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so let's talk about this one. Instagram. For many of us, well, I don't have Instagram, but, or Twitter, for which you are thankful, I promise you. Um, but many of you leverage Twitter, Instagram, Facebook in order to elevate yourselves in the minds of people. And even, you know, you post a picture where you're looking really good and you're at the gym and you got your abs or you're on vacation. Everybody posts all the pictures on vacation. Apparently everybody's like on vacation perpetually, you know. And then even, even like the, the picture of like, you know, hashtag no filter, like no makeup, bad hair day, hashtag no filter is a false humility designed to elevate yourself in the minds of people. So people look at it and go, ooh, look how humble she is. Look how humble he is. And his abs still look great. We do this all the time. And Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God does not accept the currency of prestige. The kingdom of the world does. But when you eschew prestige and say, my number one goal is to be elevated in the eyes of God. And it's okay if the world esteems me not. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have zero currency in the world. You're going to be poor in the eyes of the world, but rich unto God. Let's keep going. Position. Position. The world deals in the currency of position. To be elevated, to be considered cool. For Christ, people look at even Christians do this. Be elevated. I read it. I, I, I got to I got to read you the. I got to read you the. Uh, uh, I got to read you the, the headline. I'm sorry. I'm finding. I read an article this week on my Apple News feed. L- listen, this is the this is the title of the article: "The Rise of the Star-Studded Instagram-Friendly Evangelical Church." Chris Pratt, Justin Bieber, and the cool Christian celebrity. And look, I got nothing against Chris Pratt. I got nothing, nothing against Bieber. I've always said I'm a believer, so I, I'm into that. I'm supportive of that. But, but what we have tended to do as Christians is that we've tried to, I was going to say skin Christianity, and that's true. We've tried to wrap a skin around Christianity that makes it look as cool as we possibly can. 
And, and we've looked at the things of the world and we've said the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world don't deal in the same currency, but what can we do with the faith that would make it more palatable or acceptable in the eyes of the world? And I'm not saying that, that believers do that, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Chris Pratt does that. I'm not saying that those churches do that. In fact, some of the churches named in that article are a podcast of guys that I listen to. I think they're great pastors and preachers. But at some point... What happens is instead of just having this position in the eyes of the world as somebody who is talented or good at their job or whatever, like Justin Bieber is or Chris Pratt is or some of those pastors are, instead of that, we begin to pursue that as a goal in and of itself rather than allowing it to be a natural consequence should it happen. And you cannot pursue position and walk in the Jesus way. You can't do those at the same time. Maybe somebody will give you position. Maybe the world will elevate you. And that happens all throughout the scripture. Consider Joseph, who is elevated in the nation of Egypt to the right hand of the Pharaoh. Consider Daniel in exile in Babylon, who was elevated and given a lot of authority and influence and power, even in that kingdom. But it wasn't that they were after those things. They were after God's things, praying to him three times a day, allowing God to bring them through trial and tragedy and even persecution. Daniel ended up in the lion's den, oh, by the by. You cannot simultaneously pursue position and walk in the Jesus way. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world deal in different currencies. Here's the position of a Christ follower. Have this mind of yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, watch how deep this goes. It, it, it drops pretty quickly. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the right position for the follower of Christ. Recall that Jesus is instructing his disciples that the world is going to hate you and persecute you just after he has taken off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and taken the very position of a servant to wash their feet. And men and women of God, that's not the currency the world deals in. But I, for my part, would rather be rich in the kingdom than rich the world. You cannot pursue position and walk in the Jesus way. Let's finish the text so that Jesus can give us some encouragement here. Ready? He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I have not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is saying something interesting here. He's saying that until he showed up, people were not guilty of sin. And, uh, and he repeats that uh, twice. He repeats that phrase, guilty of sin. Understand, this is not what Jesus is saying. Until I got here, people weren't sinning. That's not what he's saying. People were definitely sinning before Jesus showed up. Read the Old Testament. They were sinning in some crazy ways, like, wow, like 
bad stuff, right? But Jesus shows up and by his very example and by his life and model, people, and this is the idiomatic phrase in the original Greek, begin to feel the weight of their sin. They began to feel the gravity of their sin. They begin to feel the burden of their sin. <laughs> okay, okay. This is a stupid example. I realize that, but just stick with me. Okay? My family and I, we go to the beach. Okay? We love to go to the beach. I love the beach. Um, I like to go to the gym. I like to pretend that I eat healthy. I try to avoid Timbits as much as possible. I just eat the whole donut. Why just eat a little one? Eat the whole thing, right? Or do you ever do this? Like, I'm not gonna have a, I'm not gonna have a whole donut. I'm just gonna have six Timbits. Because if you eat them little bites at a time, it doesn't really count. It counts, all right? So I show up at the beach and, and I got, you know, a few days a week at the gym and, you know, I'm almost 40 and Timbits, right? And I take my shirt off and I think, you know what? I look pretty good. I do. And then there's other dudes there that like Timbits more than I do. See what I'm saying? And like the gym less than I do. I'm feeling really good. Then dude from the cologne ad shows up. You know what I mean? And like he pops out of the pool, you know, or the beach and like water comes off of him. And like you could see his abs through like six layers of clothing you know, and he does his hair like this, and he looks fantastic. And all of a sudden, I start to feel the weight of my Timbits. You understand what I'm talking about? And I start to feel that burden in a way that I did not before. I look the exact same way. I, I, my, 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 my body has not changed at all. But dude shows up, ab guy, who I... <laughs> who I want to kick off the beach. But if that's you, don't go to the beach. Stay home. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I feel the weight. See, in the same way, when it comes to sin and righteousness, Jesus begins to reveal the weight. He begins to reveal the weight of our sin. When, when Jesus walks in the way of the kingdom and humility and mercy and truth and those types of things, the, the world begins to see themselves for who they really are. No wonder we hate that guy at the beach. Because now I see myself for who I really am. Not for who I like to think I am. I see my body for how it's really shaped, not for how I like to think it's shaped. In the same way, Jesus shows up and people start to compare themselves to Jesus and they go, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I feel the weight of my sin and the weight of who I am and the weight of that responsibility. And I've been dealing in this currency and pursuing power and position. No wonder they hated Jesus. No wonder they hated him. That's not fun to have somebody hold up a mirror to your very heart. And reveal the weight of your sin. But watch this now. Watch this. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is. So not only does Jesus reveal the weight, but he removes the weight. You see that? See, he holds up the mirror and we go, I can't carry this burden. And Jesus goes, great, I got it. I got it. 
See, this is the beauty of the relationship between Jesus in the world and even Christ followers in the world. Yes, they hated him. Yes, they persecuted him. Yes, they're going to hate you and me. Yes, they're going to persecute you and me. But Jesus, with extravagant grace, enters the situation, reveals the weight of sin, and then takes it upon himself. Let's finish the passage, and then we're going to do something different to close today. Jesus continues. He says this. The word is written in their law, uh, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, this is the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to get more into detail on the helper next week, okay? When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Stop there. Go back one, Monica. Stop there. Here's my question as a disciple. Jesus! Why are you saying all this stuff now? Three years ago, when you called me and said, follow me, not, not as a disciple here, but like one of the disciples listening to him, okay? Three years ago, I was fishing in a boat, and you said, follow me, and I dropped my net and followed you. Why didn't you tell me about all this persecution at the time, right? I would have been much better informed as to what I was getting into, why are you telling me all this now? Jesus says, watch, verse, six, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. Keep going. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So you know what's coming. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Men and women, the hour is coming. And in large part, it's here when we begin to experience in smaller ways than the early church did the persecution that comes along with being a disciple of Christ. But here's the deal. Jesus knew it was coming. He endured it himself, and he's with us in the middle of it. So here's how we're going to conclude. Um, it's, been a, it's been a wild week in the Cooper house. Uh, one of the reasons why is a couple of members of my family got the stomach flu. Um, I did not have stomach issues, but I did get the flu like achy, all that stuff. So come shake my hands after the service. <laughs> Love to pass it on to you. Um, you know, peace be with you and also with you. Um, so the other reason it was, it was strange is because I did a little bit of a, a spiritual retreat this week. On Friday night, I went and uh, did a retreat at the Sisters of St. John the Divine Convent. I spent 36 hours with some nuns. It was great. Like meals in silence and celebrating, you know, worship together in the daily offices and all those. It was great. It's awesome. I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, I don't agree with everything that the Anglican Church teaches. Lots of it I do agree with. Lots of it resonates with me in terms of worship practice. Some of it doesn't, whatever. One of the things that they did that I thought was really extraordinary is in the context of their corporate worship gatherings, they would uh, read a scripture or there would be a homily, which is essentially a sermon, shorter, but, you know, um, if you want shorter, go elsewhere. Um, I'm, I talk a long time. So, homilies or, or scripture or even hymns, someone would follow, uh, an individual would read and, and, and then follow that reading or that homily or whatever with these words, listen for the leading of the spirit. And then there would be 60 seconds of quiet. And then they would move to the next element in their worship service. So here's what we're gonna do to conclude. The worship team is gonna come out 
Uh, in a moment, we're going to sing this song, Lord, I Need You, and respond in worship. But before we do that, what I want to do, after now the comments that I've made on the text, I'm going to read the text that we studied in its entirety, and then I'm going to say those words, listen for the leading of the Spirit, and then we're going to spend 60 seconds in quiet. I would invite you to, if you need to cough or clear your throat, do it now. If you need to adjust your little buns in your seat, do it now, because sometimes that can be distracting for people. If you need to whisper something to your neighbor, like, we're going to be late for lunch, do it now. Okay, whatever that is, these guys are going to kind of get in place so all the movement is stopped. I would invite you to bow. Close your eyes just to block out distractions. I'm going to read the text in its entirety. And then speak those words, that invitation to listen to God. And then we will do just that. Hear now the word of the Lord. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. And whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Let us listen for the leading of the Spirit. 